We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. I am here with Jan Gustafsson, German grandmaster and another friend of mine. Uh, Jan, among other things, is known as an opening expert in chess, or so I hear. Uh, and some people have called him the funniest person in Germany. Uh, no pressure, though, Jan. So That's accurate, but it's not a big like, yeah, endorsement, actually. Damning with faint praise, we call it in, uh, in the English, although I know that you speak English better than I do. Um, no pressure at all. Like, I can't say, speak a single word already. You see, I'm looking for the easiest words in the language. I'm so nervous to be on your podcast. Thanks a lot for having me. It's nerve-wracking for sure. So I thought we would start out by you talking about your youth. Tell us about schoolboy Jan Gustafsson, how you discovered chess, and when you started to realize you were pretty good at it. Wow, this is like WTF with Mark Maron. It's an origin story. Timeless. Lay, lay down on the couch. <laughs> I'm lying down, actually. Um, so I, grew, I was born in Hamburg, Germany. I have two siblings. Um, 
when I was six years old, my parents, who are teachers, like, I don't know, took a bunch of sabbatical years and we went on a journey on a sailing boat through the Mediterranean Sea. For your U.S. listeners, that's some big lake we have in Europe. And, yeah, there's not that much to do on a sailing boat, so you can't play football or any of those things. So at some point, I believe I started playing chess with my dad when I was like eight or nine, maybe. And then I got some Mephisto, what's called Mephisto Mondial chess computer. Those are the old days before internet. I'm a very old man. It's the 80s. Was that one of the ones where you actually put the guy down on the little touch board? I think you had to press, like, uh, I'm not very good at technology, but you had to press the squares and then it would recognize it with some magnetic magic. Yes, I had one of those. Right. So, yeah, I played with that and I got the occasional chess book. And then I think, well, I went to school in Spain for two, three years, but I didn't do much chess there. When I came back to Hamburg, I was like 11 probably. And yeah, joined the Hamburg Chess Club. And the rest, well, without trying to sound pretentious, but it is history pretty much. Like. So your first tournament was not till you were 11? Yeah, I think that's right. Wow, late bloomer for chess. Uh, I did not know that. Uh, uh, no, yeah. But I, was, I think I was already a decent, like, self-taught player when I was 11. Like, I was... A top German player at age 13, I guess. But I, I think it was decent, but I didn't start playing till I was 11 because I read books and so on on my boat. Okay. And did you have a particular strength as a chess player before you became an opening world authority? Well, my first chess book was, it was a German book, but it was called Kasparov's Chess Openings. So that might have influenced me. My, my very first chess book was an opening. So already as an 11-year-old, I consider myself an opening world authority. So you memorized it and you were off to the races? Yeah, I didn't have many other chess books. So, yeah, I, I think I had that one more or less memorized after reading it 50 times. Okay. But, yeah. Okay, so you were... I don't know if that was a big strength back then. Uh, what was? Tactics? Positional? How did you play? I have no idea. How do kids play? Like, you just try to beat the other kids, right? And Yeah, but at some point, I feel like a style manifests itself. Certainly, like, around the candidate master level or something. Uh, Maybe. One shameful anecdote is that in my first German kids championship, I think it was under 12, I made nine draws out of 11 games. Not wow. very proud of it, but might as well. Were you playing the Berlin? No, I don't think it was because of my defensive style. It was more because of my chicken nature. That I thought all the other kids must be world champions. It was like my second chess tournament. So I probably offered and accepted a lot of draws. I can't recall any of the games, but I do recall that. And, and look at you now. <laughs> Still making draws, just against <laughs> stronger players. Uh, so you, you grew up and became a grandmaster at the age of 24. Is that right? That sounds very late too, right? Isn't it does. Nice? I was surprised. I feel like it should have been earlier. In my in my hours of research, I was surprised to come across wow. that as well. But uh, um, I think I think that's what the internet says. The internet. I'm surprised it, to hear that. It feels like it should be should have been earlier. But I do recall that I was a strong international master for a while, like at two five seventy or whatnot, and kept not getting the title. But I wasn't aware it was that late. I would have said like twenty one, twenty two, but. Okay. I'm sure the internet's right on that. Um, or my math is wrong. Um, no, I don't think so. How long? How hard were you working at chess those days? 
Um, of course, the standard answer most grandmasters will give you, I never worked on chess in my life and so on. But generally, at two years where I worked on chess seriously, the first was after I finished German, what we call a German high school, we call it gymnasium, but it's similar to high schools, when I was 18. Then I joined, believe it or not, the army for a year, but I mainly joined it to join something, I don't know, to translate the stuff, some sports department they have. So I was yeah, mainly playing chess, chess tournaments during that year and working on chess some training plan and all kinds of stuff, which is from 2400 to 2530, somewhere in that neighborhood. I would not have, and, would not have pictured you in the army. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure I defended the country expertly, but I played a lot of chess. Strike. First time I came to New York, where I think I met you, I was in the army. That was on a NATO plane we took from, I forgot where, somewhere in Germany to Washington, and yeah, we had to wear our uniform. Then we went to play this GM tournament in the Marshall Chess Club. And whatever year that was, 98, somewhere in that neighborhood. Sounds about when I met you. Um, were you forced 97 to... 97 or 98, I played two of those. Yeah, I think 98. You didn't have to join the army, did you? You know, us, us Americans are very ignorant of other cultures, so you have to forgive me the... the no, I'm very question. ignorant, too. Uh, like, I think in my days they changed it by now, and now I believe it's all voluntary. You know, I could be wrong. My days, you normally had it choice between something we call civil services like you go work in a home for elderly people or stuff like that for a year or joining the army most of my friends would do the civil services but the chess army thing was too good a deal for me to turn down so i, I joined that one sounds good to me and then fast forwarding to your 20s so you became one of the best players in germany and one question. No, there's, there's another stop in this origin story because I got this 2530, then I started studying. for. I studied at the university. I studied seriously for two years or three years. Then I was an exchange student in Madrid for, like, for another year. And as you do as an exchange student, I never really attended university, so I had a lot of free time. And I spent a lot of it studying chess. So I improved in that year from 2530 to 2600, pretty much the level I've had for the last 15 years. So those are the two years where I worked on chess much okay. more than the other, the other steps. Okay. And do you think, did you feel like you hit a ceiling at 2600 or did you just phase out the study aspect of your playing, of your chess career? I think it's mainly laziness, but yeah, growing up for me, this is probably not very smart, but the goal for me was always to become a 2600 player. Like in the old days, that was the mark of a strong grandmaster, and those that was the level that would get you into the national team in Germany. So somehow that was always the goal I had in the back of my mind. And then when I reached, I realized you don't get a prize or anything, and life doesn't change, but I think I lost a bit of drive or mojo and with my cautious nature i <laughs> since then i've pretty much been maintaining these 2600s coasting and it's not improving well it's quite yeah it's quite a get by quite a feat for a fish like me so uh i commend you nonetheless uh, so, that means a lot <laughs> so how did you spend your time uh, in in your 20s obviously we we crossed paths a few times um did you ever have a real job how do you define a real job i don't think i've ever had a real job no like so, you know, where there were some card games in my 20s and, yeah, a bunch of chess and, and being signed up at the university for many years without going there that much. 
I don't know. I don't think I did anything useful through my 20s now, looking back at them. Good for you. A, tw- a 20s well spent. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Not improving at chess or any other aspect, education, <laughs> social skills, well, nothing. Po- pop culture for sure. Uh, pop uh, culture, uh, yeah, yeah. I stayed up to date through uh, my 20s. I know that there's, in addition to being the funniest person in Germany, for those who don't know, Jan is the biggest expert of American television shows. Which we may get to, but I know that you cover this topic deeply on your Banter Blitz shows. I cover this topic deeply anywhere, really. All my chess commentary is just an excuse to talk about the wonders of the Night Off. Not the Night Off, but the Night Off and <laughs> Game of Thrones. But I'm, I'm behind on my TV viewing. Yes. Anyway, I feel I feel like we shouldn't go down that road yet, so I'm not going to ask you about Westworld. Okay. Well, speaking speaking of being behind on your viewing, I, I would like to mention you you became a father recently. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. How's uh, how's her chess playing coming along? She's two months now, so it's they grow up so slow, don't they? Like she still doesn't speak or walk. I'm a little disappointed. The first few months are incredibly slow. Don't as I as I mentioned to you. Like I'm trying, I'm lying to my girlfriend that I see all this progress, but I really don't. (laughs) That's normal, right? You're an experienced father, so I shouldn't Uh, get nervous yet. The first six months are kind of all a blur. Uh, My oldest didn't sleep. Um, My my youngest is eight months, and she was easier. When they sleep, Uh, you tend to notice that they do more things. Uh, But yours is yours smiling yet? Yeah, yeah, she's smiling at me, and she's trying to talk, actually. Like, I think she doesn't get the words quite right, but she's doing a bit more than eh-eh. And, yeah, she's forming her own words and stuff, so it's it's quite entertaining. Okay, and do you think that she will play chess someday? Have you thought about that? I don't know. Like, truth is, I haven't read up on any education tactics. Like, uh, I'm planning to consult our mutual friend, Donnie, and to guide me through everything, because I'm sure he's a big expert. On all aspects, but I haven't given anything, any thought, really. Like For now, I believe that she should choose to do whatever she wants to do. I'll probably change and try to live my dreams through her when she's like 12 or something and force her to study chess for eight hours a day. That sounds like a a good fatherhood to me. Um, Speaking of Donnie, that would be Donnie Ariel, international master, just uh, to... um... Name drop. Yes, exactly. Um, So now you're with Chess24. Uh, tell us, right. in, in researching this, I found out that you're co-founder. I, I did not know that. So tell us about how you uh, got involved. I'm not sure either, but yeah, after I hit my 30s, I thought, okay, maybe it's time to get a job at some point. So yeah, I met the other co-founder and yeah. <clears throat> Mentioned that I was interested in getting involved with a chess project and had some ideas so that's how chess 24 kind of yeah was born and it's been up and running for i don't know time goes by so fast three years now i don't even know really i think i've been involved with the project for like five years now and yeah a lot of chess stuff on the site doing a lot of live commentary content even though i don't like the word content do you like the word content feels offensive to content producers to me (laughs) I, I'm okay with the word content, although it's certainly not the most specific word when it applies to uh, chess educational materials. No, to me it sounds like the suits, I'm also a suit, but they invented the word to make it sound less important if you're a creative guy and you have your own podcast. It's just content. 
I don't like that word. But we, okay. I don't have another one either. Okay, well, well, we'll work on that. So with Chess24, you guys, uh, you guys do a lot of broadcasting, do a lot of educational material. Um, I enjoy your recaps when there's big tournaments going on. Are you involved in the business development side as well, or do you just stick to chess stuff? I don't know. I'm trying to stick to chess stuff because I feel like uh, at least I have some clue what I'm talking about. And But, yeah, there's always, like, as in any startup, I would imagine, but it's the first one I'm really involved in. As always, everyone does a bit of everything, and of course, there's meetings, and uh, we should do this, and we should do that, and we should talk, talk to that guy, and of course, I have a bit of a network in the chess world. So it's always a bit of a mix, but yeah. I always tell people that I am a pretty horrible manager, but I'm pretty decent at this chess stuff, so it probably makes sense if I focus on that. I can't comment For on that. you recruiters out there, I'm joking. I'm a fantastic <laughs> manager. <laughs> he is good on chess, I can tell you that much. <laughs> that too, that too. Um, so, do you do individual lessons as well, or do you just stay in your Chess 24 fiefdom for your chess work? I don't know, actually. Like, I have one student now. Um, the main thing is, might sound weird, but I don't have much time between the Chess 24 and, yeah, sometimes I have some outside activities. I still play a bit of chess myself. There's not much time, but, which is another way of saying, if someone makes me an offer I can't refuse, I'll do it for sure. You mentioned you're playing chess. Uh, how often do you play these days in tournaments? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just mentioned it as a reason why <laughs> why I'm so busy. It's not true at all. I, well, you... I only play the Thailand Open every year, where yeah, which is a very nice home by Ban Ban team. I would like to play a little more, but it's hard to find nice tournaments. So if you hear of any nice tournament, mainly holiday location, that is willing to give me ideally lots of money, but that's not that much of a priority. Do you get for a, showing up and making lots of draws? Do you get appearance fees? Not really. I believe I'm really not a playing professional anymore, so I'm not that much in tune with these things. But I believe the time of appearance fees for guys my strength, but in general for grandmasters, are a bit over. And nowadays, yeah, it's brutal out there. You got to win tournaments. Yeah, I was. That's one of the things. One of the goals of this podcast is to get a little more of a glimpse behind the curtain of what happens with Grandmasters, your level, and the handful of players who are even better than you. Uh, so did so you do think there used to be appearance fees? Well, I do know that, but it's a long time ago. Like when I first started playing chess 15, 20 years ago as a Grandmaster, you could do decently well by going from tournament to tournament you would get your fees or at least you would get a hotel and full board and travel expenses and so on but i think as i said i'm only playing the thailand open so i really don't know but i think these days are mainly gone it's very hard to get appearance fees pretty much anywhere for a player on my level it's funny because i think overall the the health of the chess economy seems better to me than 15 years ago do you think that's true or no yeah i don't think that necessarily contradicts each other it's just yeah that there's more tournaments, and in a way, it's more democratic. Or you, U.S. guys, with your winner-takes-it-all mentality have changed things. That Yeah, it's not so much about you get your appearance fee and you can relax. But yeah, in tournaments, you you got to win a prize to do well, which is a very tough lifestyle for... I've never played a lot of open tournaments, but for the traveling GM out there, because you do the math, like first prize in your regular tournament is whatever, 2,000 euro takes 10 days 
There's 20 Grandmasters playing, so hard to make a lot of money with those. Yeah, it seems seems quite difficult. Uh, luckily, there are, there are other opportunities, such as commentating on Chess 24. <laughs> That's the basket I'm putting on my accent. <laughs> and one other thing about you being busy, I would just like to remind our listeners, you do have a, a two-month-old, so from now on, Jan, that's your excuse. As a, as I've, a, I've been using her as an excuse for doing nothing over the last two months, pretty much exclusively. I'm not sure how long I can pull that cart. Like two years old, still, still, worth, still valid, right? Yes, for sure. And if, if you were to ever have another child, I think you don't even have to wait for the kid to be born. Um, just uh, yes, uh, just keep keep producing kids and then saying, yeah, I'm busy. I got an infant at home. Exactly. Got it. So you've also worked as a second in my right. hours of research. I discovered. Uh, can you? Uh, those of us who are n- never going to be good enough to be anyone's second, or whose judgment you would have to question if they selected you as a second, uh, could you tell us what that's like? Um, I think it depends on the nature of whom you're working for and where you're working for them and so on. In general, a second... You should probably define it first, just in case anyone doesn't know. That's what I was trying to do. I'm not sure if you can call it a coach or a trainer. To my mind, a second is quite specifically somebody who works for a top player at a tournament. Like, this is my second for this tournament. But, of course, it often happens that people have seconds they use for multiple tournaments. So it basically means an opening specialist that helps you with your openings, oftentimes overnight. Like a typical working day would be, let's say, your boss finishes his game at, I don't know, 8 p.m., then you go for dinner, then it's, let's say, 10. You let him rest for an hour, then at 11 p.m., you get your briefing. Tomorrow I'm playing that guy. I would like you to check if there's any idea in this Nidorf, or he could play the Petrov, what do we do there? And then the boss goes to sleep. Well, typically, well, I, li- I like to work at night. Not everybody does it that way. Then you work at night for as long as you can, a couple hours normally. And then in the morning, you show the results to your boss, and then sometimes there's some more tasks, or sometimes it's it's all right. So, yeah, it's it's interesting work, especially for ambitious young chess players, because you get a lot of opening insights, and you get to learn a lot about how the top players work and operate. But it's also it's tough. I mean, you normally have irregular sleeping schedules and have to find sleep while the boss is playing, because well, you're working at night and so on. But yeah, I enjoyed it for whiles, but I'm I'm not tough enough to do it full time. I believe. So, what did you learn about how the top players operate? It's a lot of work, and they're quite, quite good at it. <laughs> that's that's the main insight I got. But it's very different. Like some guys, yeah, they go to incredible depths, and some guys are much more relaxed about it, or more, let's say, okay, I, I prepared everything at this training camp, so I don't need to do that much at the tournament. So everybody's really, really different. But they're all very good. That's I'm, I'm understand. I'm not telling any tales out of school here. <laughs> that's pretty much. <laughs> Where you learn to appreciate like how much insight they really have. For me, as a twenty six hundred guy, the distance to how much these two seven fifty guys know it's it's quite impressively big. So, would you say is there one aspect of chess where you feel like the gap is larger between a player of your caliber and um, a top ten player? Well, I feel it's smallest in openings, which is probably natural since I've yeah 
been a second and consider myself an opening specialist. So that's where I know most, but everywhere else it's big, like inside psychology, fighting spirit, tenacity, calculation, and game knowledge. Like you name it, any area, they're spectacularly better. It's interesting that the first few factors you named were what we would call soft factors, not actual chess skills, but application skills like psychology and decision-making and clock management. Do you think that those are underrated as skills for elite players? Not sure if they're underrated. I would guess they're properly rated, especially since we have a world champion in Magnus Carlsen who, yeah, lives these skills like physical fitness and fighting spirit and mental toughness, tenacity and all that stuff. Normally the world champion sets the trend a bit, but maybe it's come more to the forefront with this new generation of fighters and tough guys. Well, the generation before, I'm not sure, I don't think, it's not meant as an insult, but I consider them more like scientists and researchers like these guys, Anand, Kramnik, Leko, and so on. I feel it's slightly different generation than this. Yeah, the soft factors have become more of a focus over the last 10 years, maybe. I could be wrong about it, but that's how I felt. You know these players better than I do, but Carlson strikes me as a bit of a hybrid between the two because he doesn't have as much hyper-specialization in openings, but he does have sort of the technical skill of the players you mentioned. For sure, yeah. Uh, So who do you think, as we record this, the World Championship is about to start, so we're not going to handicap that matchup too much because by the time this comes out, it may well be over. But I would like to ask you, who do you think, who do you see on the horizon as potential world champions to succeed Magnus? Should he hold his title this time around? Hard to say, really. Like Magnus is the, of course, the dominating player of this generation. So it's gonna, it's very hard to say if one of the guys out of this generation can challenge him. Kayaki now or Karana, to me, always felt like he's. Number two of the current generation and the guy closest to Magnus when it comes to yeah, both toughness, fighting skill, and also pure chest strength and the results against each other. So I would thought out of the current generation, Caruana is closest, but he also would not be a favorite against Magnus in a match. And then who knows? It could be that it's some Indian or Chinese guy or wherever he's from that we don't know yet or that's not a household name yet if Carlson manages to stick around for 10 years, like, very possible. We haven't heard of the next world champion. Yeah, there's no end in sight currently in in his um, reign, although this could look foolish by the time it's released. We'll see. Uh, So getting back to your opening expertise, uh, what do you think, what differentiates you from other grandmasters? Do you just have a better memory, or do you think you just work harder? How did you get this designation, the... OWA title of Opening World Authority. I'm not sure if that's an official title, but I think it's just yeah areas where you're interested in. And you could argue that I'm not as well-rounded. Like I'm a reasonably lousy endgame player for a player of my level, mainly because I haven't spent much time studying endgames. But I was always very interested in getting that small opening advantage or whatever neutralizing deadline with black and so on. 
well, I wasn't that interested once I got that small opening advantage and how to convert it. So I think it's just, yeah, what you decide to spend your time on. And for whatever reason, I was always very drawn to this scientific part of trying to get an opening advantage or equalizing in the opening. And now that, again, go ahead. Now that you're old and have a child, so you're extremely busy, uh, are you still keeping up with openings to the extent you did in your youth? Probably less so. Like I'm still interested in it since I'm doing a lot of commentary. At least I'm keeping up to the level that I like to think I know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about these top players' games. But yeah, it's not, as you mentioned, there's just not as many hours in the day when you go to work and have a child and all that stuff to take care of. So less so, but I'm still, it's still a hobby, like openings, not chess. Okay, and I read about, you did some work with our first guest, Greg Shahadi, runs the U.S. Chess School, and I know that you were an esteemed instructor there recently, and in reading the recap of it, it said that you helped kids figure out how to use chess base to uh, prep their openings. Uh, without chess base in front of us, could you describe a little bit what sort of advice you gave? I'm not sure if it was chess base advice. It was more, yeah, it was actually a nice event, a class of what do you call it, this U.S. chess school, some of the strongest players, young players in the country, featuring world champion Jeffrey Zhong, but also a bunch of other, very strong other players. And we pretty much went through their openings one by one. I had a look beforehand at what they were doing and gave my not always very valuable insights in what I think they could do better and where there's holes in their repertoire. And yeah, I enjoyed it. I'm not sure they learned anything, but it was fun to see it. A lot of very, very strong young players in the U.S. who would have thought. Good to hear. Well, if I'm not mistaken, that happened before Jeffrey Zhang won the World Youth Championship. Is that correct? Yeah, I'd hate to take all the credit, but like 98% of the right. credit. I was going to say, deserve. draw your own conclusion about, about why that happened. You do the math. Exactly. So... I'm sure people who are listening, a lot of them are interested in how to improve in chess generally. And obviously, that's a tough question to answer because everyone has unique circumstances. So why don't we start by you saying you have a talented young kid, maybe not the most talented kid in the world, but a kid who loves chess and wants to get better. What advice do you give them? I'm sure you've been asked this many times. So what's your stock answer? Yeah, the problem is you never have a good answer for these things, right? Like it, it is the most asked question to probably any chess authority, I have rating Y and have HX, and I would like to get to that rating with that amount of study. Or And I don't have an answer. Like, I think everyone's circumstances are unique, as you mentioned. What I do believe, and I'm not sure this is going to help anybody, is that, especially with a young kid, no chess input is really harmful. If they like chess and they read books and whatever, watch opening videos watch my brilliant shows, play online. I think we don't know how our brain works anyway. Just get as much input as you can. There is not really any bad input and let your subconscious or whoever does that stuff in the brain <coughs> figure figure it out for you. So I'm, I'm not a believer in a formula or you should spend X amount of time on openings, X on end games, X on solving studies or practice. I don't believe that stuff exists. Just do whatever you like, and if you like chess, you'll improve. Uh, if only it were so simple. What What about old men like me who... Condescending! <laughs> it must be nice to be a grandmaster. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I can't imagine what that's like. Um, 
So what about- no, you gotta put in the time, right? Even lazy me, like I do believe in what do they call it? This ten thousand hour rule. I'm sure I spend a lot of time on this chess, but I yeah, honestly don't believe that there is this structured learning path to yeah become very good. Although I do remember getting in a bit of an argument with you many years ago, where you had just read this book, Talent is Overrated. And That's the only book I read on the topic, so I still firmly believe in it. Okay, so you've seen nothing to dissuade you that that <laughs> talent is nothing overrated. at all. Okay, yeah, it's a tough call, and I'm not. Um, I I like to read about that stuff, but I'm not an expert either. Um, you certainly, as a chess teacher, I see kids of varying skill levels, but it's hard to control for the variables of how they would actually turn out ten years later, um, given an equal amount of work. Which is yeah, I also don't really know that like this nature versus nurture discussion and this talent is overrated. What do they call it? Deliberate practice. Yes. It's easy to say, but yeah, it's got to be the right practice and yeah, what that is. So individual that I really don't have a clue. That's why I give this very broad answer, which I also believe in. Just yeah, do whatever you like. If you're interested, you will improve. Okay. I, I'll let you slide on that answer then. <laughs> So moving on to what the people really want, Jan. Let's uh, let's get your pop culture opinions. What is what is your favorite TV show of all time? Wow, I just read a book because the only book uh, books I read are about TV. I believe it's called TV the Book. That is pondering that very question to great lengths, and they were discussing that in the finals. They had the wire, the wire versus the Sopranos. The wire, or is that even true? Maybe The Simpsons won. I think The Simpsons won, and then it was The Wire versus The Sopranos for the second spot. I don't know. My fake intellectual answer would be The Wire. you got to say The Wire, right? That's certainly the accepted answer in a certain uh, American um, group of people, demographic that I basically belong to, and I share that opinion. Although I seem to remember you had some trouble getting into The Wire, I, I still, yeah, I'll give that answer to look smart, but when I look back at how much I suffered sitting through season two of The Wire and how much I enjoy nonsense like The Shield or whatever, I'm not really sure that The Wire is such a great show because it should be enjoyable, right? Wow, this this, so, this podcast is going to make headlines now. <clears throat> yeah, I'm not saying The Shield is the greatest TV show of all time, but I struggle a bit with yeah, labeling The Wire as so great. When you have to sit through all this port stuff in season two. Yeah, even but with... The Wire season three and four is pretty much unmatched. Yeah, and even with subtitles, Americans sometimes have trouble understanding the dialogue in The Wire, so although... Speak you... for yourself. I, didn't know <laughs> I was going to say, although you are an expert on English, uh, <laughs> that, big, big that may have made it a challenge. What, what other languages do you speak, by the way? Um, that's pretty much it. No, I, I speak Spanish because I went to school there, so... Nothing to brag about. Um, yeah, bit of Dutch. Still no Norwegian in spite of Norwegian girlfriend and daughter. So not that many, actually. No. Are you still living in Hamburg? Yeah, just bought a house, settling no. down. No, is it true suburb or false? Is it true? Oh, you're in the suburbs? Yeah. It's hard to believe. Uh, not as hard to believe as the dad part, but hard to believe nonetheless. Right. Uh, um, you lived in Gibraltar for a bit, correct? That's true. How was that? Okay, it's a small place. Fantastic weather, so that's nice. And, yeah, in Spain there's a lot of stuff if you outside of Gibraltar. But I'm a big city kid, so I struggle with being in the suburbs. And Gibraltar, 
yeah, I don't want to trash it. It's nice, but it's it's a small place, like twenty thousand inhabitants. So yeah, it's different. And what brought you back to Hamburg? Um, I don't know. I think mainly the big city stuff. And yeah, I am from Hamburg. My family is from there. Blah blah blah. It's more central for traveling and so on. So it's in a way more convenient for me. But I enjoyed the Gibraltar as well because the weather in Hamburg not so pleasant. I Where are you based these days? You're in Pittsburgh or something? I'm, I'm in place? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. No offense to all your Pittsburgh listeners. I've never been there. <laughs> Legions of Pittsburgh listeners. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a change from New York. It's a bit of a slower pace, but like you, I have kids now, and it's a little bit, you know, it's nice not to live in a fourth-floor walk-up when you have two kids who somehow have mountains of stuff. Um, so so you're, you're suburban as well? House and garden, all the good stuff? Well, we live in what they call the city here, but it's suburban by my standards. Uh, right. com- compared to New York, we do have a bit of a yard, and the houses aren't connected, so I find it very confusing. Beautiful. Uh, but I'm I'm adjusting, s- slowly but surely. All of this is very new to me, so I'll hit you up for lots of advice on. Well, once again, with yeah. any parenting questions, Donnie Ariel is the main the main authority. <laughs> Absolutely. But I do have a direct link to him, so as do you. Um, okay, so you're still in your one last pop culture topic. You, like I, grew up in the '90s, and you were a fan. Did we of, firmly establish that what's the best TV show in the end? I forgot. I got distra- distracted. Well, you you kind of copped out by giving the company line of the wire without uh, striking um, firmly on what your true beliefs are. So I kind of felt like it was a dead end. Maybe at a point, yeah. Is it too early to say Game of Thrones is the best show ever? I really enjoy Game of Thrones. I can't do fantasy. I just can't. Can't do it? Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm grounded in reality, unfortunately, for better or for worse. Um, That's but nice. I know, but I know, <laughs> I know that a lot of people love it. So uh, don't I stop, see. don't stop listening, loyal Game of Thrones fans. All right, moving on. Okay. 90s. Last topic: music. Are, do you still uh, bother? I, I, you know, you you've probably heard the saying: fathers, when they have kids, their wardrobe never changes again. They just keep wearing what they were wearing when they have kids, which three years in, I can tell you, is true. And basically, the same seems to be true of music. Do, are you still actively looking for? I know you, you and I both like some rap, and I don't know if you're into other things as well. But are, do you manage to look for new music, or are you too busy being the actual entertainer on Chess Twenty Four? I've never been very good with music, and I feel like it's with music. It's more like whatever you listen to from, let's say, fourteen to eighteen, it just sticks with you. So I've given up on that topic long time ago. Like once in a while, I try to reinvent myself and start thinking. Okay, nineties hip hop is maybe not the most grown-up music taste to to have, and I listen to whatever. I can't even remember the names of these alternative rock bands you're list, supposed to listen to at that very moment. I think they sound all the same. I don't know if this is Snow Patrol or Arctic Monkeys or whatever they're called. And I go back to listening to Tribe Called Quest. So I don't know. I don't really have a new music taste, and I'm I'm not staying up to date at all. Sometimes I listen to a new Drake album, and I think, wow, these crazy kids nowadays, they're half singing, half rapping, and that's the thing. Like, I don't get it. Yeah, although Tribe Called Quest does... uh have a new album coming out apparently despite one of their members being deceased so that dads like us are rejoicing 
Ah, I wasn't even aware of that. So yeah, yeah, I'm, not, I'm sure. I'm not sure you're just 24 viewers um, are eager to hear your review. They're also <laughs> <laughs> they're also on Saturday Night Live next week, which will be probably in the past by the time people hear this. But uh, so yeah, keep your eyes out. Keep your eyes out while you're um, giving your baby a bottle. You can watch that. I might, I might, but it's, yeah, feels like I'm already way out of touch with you. U.S. pop culture, which really, as a German, I feel is my duty to stay informed about, but I'm not. Speaking of topics that will be long past when this show is out, tonight is election night. So yes. I'm going to stay up all night and follow your elections. Oh, is that, I, are you doing the same thing? I wanted to thank you, first of all, for allowing me to unplug for an hour of this, the longest day in human history. Um <laughs> At least for those of us in the United States, yeah, I'll be following the results. Um, I uh, I think I think that similar to the Magnus Carlsen match, I think that the favorite is. I don't think there'll be any surprises, but it's always a nervous day in the meantime. Right. Yeah, I don't think you want this podcast to get political because I know you're a big subscriber to Michael Jordan. Republicans buy sneakers too. Exactly. So no yes. need to give opinions on either side. We'll follow it. Yes, exactly. Um, so the last thing I want to touch on is you're you're following the great Greg Shahadi as a guest on this podcast, and as you can imagine, wow. he uh, he had a few more rants than you have when when I had him as a guest. Does that surprise you? No, he's. I think he just yeah. Has opinions on stuff. Well, I don't really care about anything like this. What is the best TV show ever is one of the topics I'm more most concerned with. But like reforming anything, I don't know. I I don't feel the pressure to be a productive member of society as strongly. I think is my problem. Well, so he, no, I'm not surprised by that. He is a very productive member. So you don't have any opinions about the tiebreak stuff. Um. Or the speed chess, like the speed of the games in okay, elite tournaments. Okay, let's go through through his rants one by one. Then, so the tiebreak stuff is what the Olympiad. Uh, the Olympiad was a good example. So was the candidates um, that determined. Uh, I don't who, know. In a perfect world, I'd like to have the Olympiad end with like a knockout tournament thing, like you do with your major sports. But you also don't want to send everybody home once they're out, right? So you would have to figure that one out. But, yeah, I agree it shouldn't be so complicated, ideally. Oh, um, and what, faster time controls generally? Are you in favor or opposed? I know, um, you've, call, I know you've called Greg a park player in the past, so <laughs> that, that may uh, impact your view versus his. Not sure. Like, I think well, this one's, again, a cop-out answer, but I think all the formats do have a right to exist. Like, as a live spectator, I quite enjoy watching a Blitz or Rep tournament, and, yeah, it's fast-paced, and there's action for two or three hours, and I'm sure for all our great TV ambitions, this is a good plan. But then, as a student of the game, I never play through any Blitz games, but I have played through many World Championship matches or Super Tournaments from the past. So I feel like these games do have a longevity, the classical games that separate them from the fast action of a live blitz or rapid tournament. I don't see, don't see why these formats have to compete, why we only have to play blitz chess. So, yeah, I understand it's a cop-out, and I'm sure Greg has many thought-out points. Well, I've really 
never give them a topic any thought. But I'm happy with the current state of events. Just let them have whatever they want. Okay, a, a welcome contrast to to Greg's opinions. Um, although I I think the world could use some change. The chess world could use some change, but. But I know that you're. No, that doesn't you, mean I'm happy with the current state of events on everything. But like the <clears throat> time control, the biggest problem to my mind is that it changes at every event, even with the classical. Like that's very annoying from a player's perspective. They never know what the time control is. But if we have like three established time controls and you have tournaments in every format, I don't, I don't mind. Yeah, I, I'm. I think uniformity would be better. Um, and I think more faster would be better. Although I agree with you, um, that doesn't you don't have to choose one. You can just have say three standard formats or something like that. Blitz, some sort of action format, and some sort of slow format that's not quite as slow as currently. Um, as a now that we both yeah, have... I'm not sure. Don't you think these are, these times of ours are too fast paced? All these 30 second videos to grab our attention. That we need a contrast, like a nice six-hour chess game, to make us focus on one topic for a long time again. I think it could be very educational. It's a nice idea, but it just doesn't seem to work. Like for example, when I'm watching the game, the broadcasts that you and others do such a good job on, I can't not look at the computer. For example, um, the engine. No, you're supposed to look at the computer. Just watch me for six hours straight. That's that's what we want people to do. Okay, that I can handle. <laughs> See. All right. Well, unless you have anything else you want to talk about, I'm sure that you have diapers to change and you're a busy man. So we'll save the NBA talk for some other time. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And apologies for not having any controversial opinions on anything. Really. Okay. Well, you can work on. You can write them up for next time. Uh, people can find I'll you prepare. on Twitter if anyone has positive feedback they would like to give you. Do you have anywhere else you'd you'd like them to find you? Chess Twenty Four, I guess. Yeah, chess24.com. I do a lot of commentary there. Twitter, what what am I called on Twitter? GM Jan Gustafsson, I believe. Um, not maximizing your, you're not maximizing your potential on Twitter, I will say. By uh, never tweeting? Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, I'll work on that. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks for coming on, Jan. Thanks for listening to Perpetual Chess. To hear more episodes, give feedback, or suggest guests, go to perpetualchesspod.com. If you like the show, please help me out by telling your friends and giving me a high rating on iTunes. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.